Hello, welcome to Motherhood Out Loud, a safe place for mothers to talk openly about their experiences without fear of judgment or shame. Our hope is for women to realize that we're not alone in the variety of emotions we feel and that we're able to provide a more loving community for future moms. Let's take take our our power back and and live motherhood out loud. With Carla and Cindy. Hello, welcome back to Motherhood Out Loud. We'd like to introduce our guest, Marcy Alvarez. She's 29 years old, born and raised in El Paso, Texas. She's married and has a six-year-old son. She describes her family as a one-and-done family. She's currently a stay-at-home mom, but before that, she worked in the service industry for about 10 years. Hi, Marcy. Welcome. Hi. How are you? Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um. Yeah. So, I mean, you basically got it. <laughs> My name is Marcy. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm 29 years old. Um, I have one son. His name is Ezra. Um, I'm married. I've been with my husband for we're celebrating nine years this year. So we've been together kind of a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a stay-at-home mom right now. I stopped working uh, right at the beginning of my surrogacy when I got pregnant. And um, yeah, before that, I was in the service industry for 10 years. Awesome. Thank you for, for telling us about yourself. I love the name Ezra. That's, oh, that's a really you. pretty name. <laughs> yes. Thank you. So we're going to backtrack a little bit to when you were pregnant with your son. How was everything in terms of that, your, that pregnancy and your labor and postpartum experience as well? So with my son, everything, honestly, 10 out of 10. It was such a good experience. My pregnancy was so easy. My delivery was so easy. Postpartum was a little was a little rough, just getting used to, I guess, being a new mom and everything. Um, mentally, I guess, but physically, postpartum was great. Um, when I got pregnant with my son, I want to say I was twenty. Yeah, I was twenty two. So I feel like that has a lot to do with how smooth it went because I was a lot younger right. than with this one. <laughs> um, yeah, I found out I was pregnant with my son pretty early on. Also, I was four or five weeks when I found out that I was pregnant with him. So I didn't really have any symptoms. No, I think total, I, from morning sickness, I threw up maybe like twice. Um, I was just really tired. That was kind of what was the giveaway that I was pregnant with him. I woke up one morning and then two hours later I was exhausted and I was like, okay, something's not right. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's figure this out. And then, yeah, I found out I was pregnant. Um, I delivered him at 39 weeks. I was induced. So it was an induction. It was was actually pretty kind of long. took a long time, a lot longer than I thought it was. I remember my doctor had me go in at midnight for my induction, and they didn't start any of the medication or anything until 5 in the morning. Hmm. So for those first couple of hours, my husband and I were just – laying around there. Yeah. Yeah. Just waiting in the hospital room. And then they started the medication, uh, like five in the morning. They gave me, um, there are these little pills, I guess they go in your cervix. Mm -hmm. So I had one of those around five in the morning. I had another one around seven in the morning. Um, and then I guess labor started from then. I remember around, I want to say 10, 10 o'clock, I got um, my epidural because 
my doctor was going to break my water. So mm-hmm. he's like, it's better if you just get the epidural. I, I want to say also, I was very young and very uneducated. So I was just get the epidural right now. Okay, sure. I got the epidural at 10 o'clock. My water broke. He broke my water actually at 1030. And um, my son wasn't born until 10 o'clock at night. Wow. So I was bed bound for 12 hours. I was just laying there flipping back and forth, you know, using the peanut ball, all of that stuff. And yeah, then it came time to push. Um, my son was born at 10.04. So I started pushing around wow. 10 o'clock and he was born in four or five minutes. Oh, super fast. Yeah. <laughs> but the waiting was, it was awful. I bet. Yeah. And then being like stuck in the bed, that sucks too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Marcy, I know we'll probably, I talk, I spoke to you about possibly making another episode about this, but briefly, if you could explain to us like how you guys came to the decision of becoming just like a one and done family and you know, what led to that decision? Um, we didn't, for me, let me, let me speak for myself first. I, my son was maybe about six, seven months old. And I was just like, I, I feel like at the beginning, I was just so overwhelmed with being a new mom. And if I'm being honest, motherhood wasn't what I expected it to be at the beginning. I wasn't, right. I didn't even, I, it was hard at the beginning, the first couple of months to even get this like bond, you know, with my son. Mm-hmm. I loved him. Don't get me wrong. I loved him protect him, feed him, care for him, all of that stuff, right? Like that maternal instinct was there, but that like amazing bond that, you know, you see in movies and stuff, it didn't happen for me at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially I feel like the sleep deprivation, (laughs) the breastfeeding, I felt like I was only like a a vessel for him to eat, (laughs) if that makes sense. You know, so- that was rough. Um, once I started kind of coming out of that and he got a little bit older and we kind of got into the groove of things, I was just like, wow, that was really hard. And I, yeah, by the time he was a year old, I was like, yeah, I'm not, I can't, I can't do that again. I can't do this again. Um, just because like I said, as he was getting older, we got more comfortable as parents got into a routine for me, I just couldn't imagine starting all over with a newborn. And those are just my feelings. You know, I hadn't spoke about this with my husband yet. We hadn't, because everything was so fresh. I was like, maybe I'll change my mind a year from now. Hmm. And I just never changed my mind. (laughs) So once I was kind of more secure in like what I knew, then I started having those conversations with my husband. And for a while he was like, oh, we'll see. Like, I, I'd be down for another one. Like, we can do two kids. And I was like, mm, okay, maybe I'll change my mind, maybe. And then, no, it just – it never changed for me. So as he – and at, on the same token, as my son got older and easier, we just fell into such an easier routine. Like, everything just started getting easier the older he got, you know? Year two came around, three, four, and – it was just so much easier. And we just came, we had a lot of discussions. um, And finally, we just came to the decision, you know, like we function better as parents, as a household, as individuals, when we have less on our plate, 
And we just came to the decision that for our family, for our son, it's better that he has happy parents. It's better that he has um, everything that we can offer him without having to, you know, spread our time, spread our energy, our finances, all of that stuff. We just decided it would be better for him to have all of us, everything that we can offer him and the best versions of ourselves. And that comes with not having any more children. That's what that looks like for us. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things you said are super relatable and I would love to talk about it. That's why I want to bring you on again, because literally me and Carla will just start talking about that and we will avoid the real topic at hand (laughs) today. But thank you for sharing that. Um, So what led to your interest in surrogacy and then later deciding to become a surrogate? Um, So like I said, I I knew pretty early on that I wasn't going to have any more children, but I loved my pregnancy so much. I loved being pregnant. I loved just knowing I was growing a human. I loved feeling the kicks. I loved every aspect of pregnancy the first time. I loved it. And I was like, I would love to experience that again, but I don't want any more children. So how can I do that? How can I, you know, how can I, how can we figure this out? Um, And interestingly enough, my... mm, she was my aunt. They divorced. I'll still consider her my aunt, <laughs> my cousin's <laughs> mom. She actually carried um, twins, I believe, for her brother and his wife. Um, oh, so she was wow. a surrogate for them. So, But that was when I was younger. But I always, mm-hmm. like, I knew that that happened. I didn't understand it at the time, but I knew that that happened. So it wasn't this, like, foreign idea to me. I knew that that was a possibility that you could carry a child for somebody else. Um And around the time that I really started like getting interested and looking into it, because surrogacy isn't very, wasn't at the time, very out there, right? It wasn't, people didn't talk about it much. And I know this is going to sound silly, but around the time that I started getting it like really interested and like seeing it more, uh, Kim Kardashian was using a surrogate and it was like Mm -hmm. all, it was this mind blowing phenomenon that people were talking about. People couldn't get enough of it, you know? And so it was at the Mm -hmm. time I was in the media so much and I was like, oh, wow, like people are really doing this. I can do this too. Um, Yeah. So I started looking into it. On top of that, I know that there are so many people that want children that can't have children. I know so many women go through IVF and it doesn't always work. I know so many people, same-sex couples can't have a baby on their own, obviously. So I just knew if my body was physically able to do it, but I didn't want any more children, like if my body is able to do it and I can help somebody else and still get that little itch of me wanting to be pregnant again, get it out. Like it was just a win-win all around. I didn't see any negatives in it. And yeah, that's how I started looking into it. And what did your husband think about you wanting to do this and your family? (laughs) My husband, he, at the beginning, he was not, I don't want to say not on board, but he was just like, no, why would you do that? (laughs) You know? Um, And at at the same time, I don't think he, well, I know that he didn't fully understand how it worked. I think he thought I was going to, it was going to be like half of my child and half of 
a sperm donor or something. I don't know. So, mm. you know, it took a lot of, um, I presented the idea and then we would leave the conversation. Then a couple of weeks later, have it again. So it was kind of just dropping the seed little by little and then explaining it to him. And then once I found the agency that I liked, I was like, look, here's all of this information. Um, and yeah, I had, I had to explain. I literally remember showing him a YouTube video on how like surrogacy worked as far as like the embryo transfer, um, the medication, like all, just everything, like leading up to the actual pregnancy. I had to like show him a visual so he could understand it. And then he was like, oh, okay. So, and then once I applied and we had like, well, we'll get into that. <laughs> but once we spoke with the people from the agency and stuff, he became, he was okay with it after, after many conversations. Wow. Um, he your was family and did the, I know since it was probably something that has happened in your family, I wonder if they were more open to the idea. Well, yeah. So, um, how do I explain it on that side of the family? Um, my grandma is the only one that was involved in my surrogacy and stuff. So she knew that, you know, my aunt had done it. Um, so she was okay. Her and my husband, their main thing, well, pretty much everyone in my family, but their main thing was like my health. They're like, you do what you want <laughs> as long as you're okay and you know what you're getting yourself into then. You know, that's it's your life. If that's what you want to do, then that's fine. His, um, My husband's parents were a little apprehensive at first. My mother-in-law is very um, traditional, <laughs> I want to say, Hispanic. Um, and I remember she did say like, why would you want to do that? But you won't, you don't want to have a child of your own. And I was like, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> Let's talk about this first. Right. Um, so yeah, it was a little, uh, again, with everybody. Um, I told them what I was doing and let me just say, I didn't even tell them until maybe a month before my embryo transfer, I had already started my medications. I had already gone through the whole process. At this point, this was in 2021 when I told them, I had started the process in 2019. So I had went through most of it without even telling anybody just because I didn't want, you know, the negative things that people might say. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. My husband and I are okay with it. So that's all that matters. And that's what we're, what we're going to do. Um, so yeah, it did take a lot of explaining to them and having them understand why I wanted to do this. And it was a lot of the same conversation over and over. And I have a question. I mean, how old was your son at this time when you started the process? When I first started, he was four. Um, and now he's six. So yeah, it was a whole two year process. Um, I get that question a lot too. You know, how did we explain it to him? How did he... How did he take it? At first, um, I just told him, I mean, we just explained it in very childlike terms, you know, like I would tell him, well, cause he doesn't want siblings. He already knows that we're not having any more children and he doesn't like the idea of having a sibling to begin with. So that makes everything so much easier. Yeah. Uh, so we told him like, how would you feel if mommy got pregnant? And he would say, no, I don't want a brother or sister. And we're like, okay, cool how would you feel if mommy got pregnant and the baby went to other parents? And he was like, okay, that's cool. 
you know, at the beginning, he didn't really understand it. Um, as he got older, once he got in, you know, towards the end of five years old to six years old, once I was already doing everything, um, especially once I started the medications, because he would see my husband injecting me every single day. So that was, you know, a lot to explain to him. Um, but the way that we explained it was just that some people can't have babies on their own, but mommy can have a baby. So mommy is going to help somebody else have a baby who can't have a baby. And it was just a lot of that explanation over and over again. Um, especially once I was pregnant and showing and, you know, I would show him pictures of the ultrasounds. He did ask me a couple times, why are you pregnant? And why are you doing this for somebody else? You know, if we're not keeping the baby, why are you doing this? And I was like, wow, that's a good question for a six-year-old. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was very, like I said, it was, it's a lot of repetitive when, when they're that age, you have to say the same thing over and over and over again. So, you know, we just explained it. Um, mommy has parts that can help her have a baby that some other people don't. Mommy's oven works. That's how I know um, once he really started getting curious and we had to explain it in more detail that he could understand, we explained it like mommy's baking a cake. Mommy has the ingredients. Mommy has, um, well, some people have the ingredients, but they don't have the oven. Mommy has an oven, but she's not using the ingredients. So mommy's using ingredients from someone else and putting it in the oven. And then we're going to have the baby, which is the cake. And then we give the cake back to the owner. You know, just little stories like that, like creative ways of finding ways to explain it to him. And there's also books about it. I did buy a book for him um, and I read it to him a couple times. It's called The Kangaroo Pouch. And it's mm -hmm. about... Yeah, you know how kangaroos have their little pouch, and so it's yeah, kind of the same. It's explaining surrogacy for children in wow. terms of using a kangaroo. So wonderful. Yeah. That's an interesting way to put it about the oven not working. I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. I feel like those explanations could work on like adults. Yeah, <laughs> my yeah, exactly. reference. Um, but that's interesting. Yeah, because I was curious, like coming from. Uh, my my young I only have one brother, but he was uh, my mom didn't get pregnant with him till I, I was eight. I was seven. He was born right before I turned eight, so I had a very good understanding of what pregnancy was at that point, just because I read a lot. And, then, mm -hmm. and so I was just curious, since he was a little bit older too. I'm like, how do you know? Versus when, like, if I tell my little girl right now that I'm pregnant, she has no idea. She's two. Mm -hmm. But you know, when they get a little bit older, kind of explaining that dynamic. So I think you guys did a phenomenal job with the of an analogy. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad he understood. And it's interesting that he's like, I don't want a brother or sister. Like he's on board. That's perfect. <laughs> and you know what? That um, I mean, that could be a whole other conversation when, you know, if we ever touch on the one and done topic, but just quickly, we are very honest with him and we let him know. Cause he, there was maybe like once or twice when he was like, I want a brother when he was maybe like three and would see it on TV and we'd be like, okay, well just know if you, we have a brother, things are going to change. Like we're very honest with him because it's not all the time. It's not this big fairy tale, you know, who's to say they're even going to get along. So right. we let him know, like, you know, things change. If, if you really, if that's something you really want, you know, you're not going to have your own toy room anymore that room's gonna have to change into 
your sibling's room or, you know, and we're very honest with him. We let him know, like, it's not this, this fairy tale thing that you see on TV. So once he realizes like, oh, my life's going to change. Oh, it's not just going to be me and mommy and daddy anymore. Like, mm, no, never mind. <laughs> like, let me think about that. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then when you got started, how was that? And how did you get started? Did you have any resources or mentors? I know that you said at that time, it was kind of hard to come by that information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I was looking into it, I, I think the only person I saw maybe a couple of like YouTube people that would document their surrogacy journey online. Um, but even then it was very, with surrogacy, there's a lot of privacy that goes into it. So a lot of people can't talk really about everything. Um, so yeah, it was hard. It was hard finding resources. It was hard finding other people. Now that I am a surrogate, there's a whole community and it's being talked about so much more. Once you really dive into it and you find the resources, there's so much information now. Back then there wasn't. So I was kind of just figuring it out as I go, as I went along. Um, I started off by, you know, looking into agencies. You can do independent um, journeys. It's just a little bit harder. A, sur uh, a surrogacy agency takes care of so much behind the scenes stuff. So, you know, I started looking online for different agencies. Um, I looked at a bunch of different ones before I actually submitted my application to the one I ended up using. Um, and yeah, once I submitted my application, you know, the people working at the agency, they give you a lot more information. So that's how, that's how we went about it. And did they, like when you're in the agency, do they provide you with like, I don't know, another surrogate to kind of like help you through it? Or is it just through their guidance that they? Yeah, no. So actually once you join the agency, um, and it's a little further along in the process, um, once you sign contracts and everything, but there we do um, monthly, what's it called? Support groups. So oh, okay. it's my caseworker and then all of the surrogates that she manages, um, oh, okay. you know, all the different people that she takes care of. So yeah, I did monthly um, support groups with, I want to say anywhere from seven to 12 other surrogates. Wow. Um, in our group. So we all talk about everything. And it's so, I love the support groups because no one understands what it's like to be a surrogate except other surrogates. You can talk to other moms about pregnancy and that's great. You can talk to other moms about delivery and postpartum, but a surrogate pregnancy and delivery and postpartum, no one except other surrogates understand what it's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that they have that community for you guys because I know, you know, it, I'm assuming it's not always like an easy thing and there's points in the journey where you might question like why you're doing it or you know what I mean? And uh -huh. it's nice that you had other people to like speak to about the process that we're yeah. going through it as well. Mm -hmm. And um, so can you walk us through the process of like applying at the agency and, you know, certain requirements that you could talk about and the actual process of signing up, there. I guess, to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I actually have my notes because it's a lengthy process. <laughs> um, okay. So you start with the application, right? So 
most, it depends on your location here in El Paso, where we are, we don't have a surrogacy agency. Um, my agency has a lot of different locations. The closest one is Dallas, which even then is not close. So a lot of it was done. A lot of it is done um, electronically mm-hmm. through email, um, you know, Skype calls, all of that stuff. So to start off, you do your application. You submit your application. It's a pretty lengthy application. They ask you a lot of different questions to see if you even qualify. Um, so you submit your application. Once you know it's approved or once your application goes through, you'll have a, like a recruiting person go over your application. And if you qualify, then they send you back um, – paper like paperwork to sign like release forms and stuff to get your pregnancy records from your last birth because to be a a surrogate you need to have at least one live birth Mm -hmm. because they need to know how your body reacts to pregnancy if you were able to carry to term um how your delivery went if you had complications all of that stuff so they need your pregnancy records um and then once they get those then you have a phone call usually with the recruiting person, um, you know, just to go over your application. They ask you, it basi- it's basically an interview with the agency to see if you're a good fit. Um, and then once you do that, then they have, by then, hopefully, they, you get, they get your records because that takes a while too. The whole release of medical records is such a long process. There's a lot of signatures and stuff. It's a lot of confidentiality that you have to get through. So hopefully by then, once you do your interview, um, they have a nurse, like their nurse that works for the agency, review your pregnancy records. And then if everything looks good, everything checks out, then you move on to the next step, which is um, your screening and testing. So you do another interview with uh, the coordinator. This time it's usually with your partner. Um, And they, you know, just basically go over everything again. But this time your partner's included to make sure that you have a good support system behind you because surrogacy is not always the easiest process. So you do another Skype interview. We did ours on Skype because, like I said, my agency is in another state. So we did ours on Skype. And then once you do that, you get moved on to the next step, which is your psych evaluation. Excuse me. So that one is with an actual, um, I want to say psychologist, psychiatrist, one of those professionals. Um, And again, that one is pretty long. I think we were on our Skype, our um, psych evaluation, I'm sorry, for like an hour and a half. And that one is done with your partner as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, they just ask you, you know, the psych evaluation is to rule out the crazies, (laughs) rule out the ones that aren't mentally ready for surrogacy. Because on top of the physical aspect of everything, of carrying a pregnancy, delivering, putting your body through the IVF, it's a lot of mental stuff too. So they want to make sure that you're mentally stable and ready for what inevitably is, you know, giving the baby back to their parents. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you do that. Um, once, you know, you're cleared through the psych evaluation, you do background checks. You and your partner have to go through a background check. Um, 
and then they do an insurance review, which is if you have your own medical insurance already, the agency goes through a detailed, um, I guess, look at your insurance to see if surrogacy is even covered because that is a whole other something that gets added into the process. Because if you're, how do I explain it? If your insurance doesn't cover surrogacy or doesn't cover certain aspects of pregnancy, um, then your intended parents need to take out an, an insurance policy for you. And some intended parents don't want to do that. That's just an extra cost on top of everything, you know, so that goes into play when it comes to matching with parents, because like I said, some don't want to do that. So the ones that don't want to do that obviously won't get shown your profile. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they have to go through all of that stuff to even pass you on to the next step, which is um, the selection and the matching process. So once all of the stuff gets approved, once, you know, your medical record, your psych evaluation, your insurance review, background checks, once all of that stuff gets processed and approved, then is when you get put into like the roster, the database of mm-hmm. available surrogates. And then you, you know, um, intended parents get to look through a bunch of different profiles. And then once they find one they like, like if they're interested in you, then the agency sends the surrogate the parent's profile. And if the surrogate likes the parent's profile, then they schedule a match, uh, a meeting. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So, and that's a whole, so then once you get matched or you get, you know, interested in each other, um, you do an initial call beforehand before you officially get matched. So like in my case, they sent me, you know, the parents profile. I looked it over with my husband and I was like, yeah, they look nice. Like they're, um, they were a same sex couple which ideally I really wanted to do that for a same-sex couple just because they, out of everybody, have the most trouble having children. So um, I let the coordinator know, like, yes, we want to meet with them. And then we scheduled a Skype call. Um, And then on the Skype call, we just went over the basics, you know, like, why do you want to do it? Why are you guys looking for a surrogate? Um, What do you want the relationship to look like? What do you want? you know, the relationship throughout the pregnancy to look like after delivery and our, what we wanted out of the surrogacy matched. Like we both wanted the same things. So after that, um, after the call, the coordinator did tell me like, you know, give yourself, you know, 48, 72 hours to think it over. Let me know. And I want to say like a day or two later, I was like, you know, I would be open to moving forward with them if they are. And they were open to moving forward with me. So we got officially matched. And then on that aspect, like when you guys are talking, are you able to share kind of like um, what your what yours and the couple's needs were, like being involved in pregnancy? Like, can you share that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, they were honestly, <laughs> I got so lucky because my intended parents were the most easygoing. Um, they were when she asked like you know are there any specific things that you know you would ask of marcy through the pregnancy as far as like um lifestyle changes and stuff like that literally all they said was you know just as long as she doesn't drink and smoke while she's pregnant (laughs) and i was like okay that works for me 
So, you know, they were very easygoing. And then as far as like the relationship after the birth, mm-hmm. I let them know right off the bat, like, I'm open to whatever you want. If you want this to be closed and you don't want to ever talk about it again, once you have the baby, I completely understand that. And I respect that because this is your child at the end of the day. I can't mm-hmm. decide for you how, you know, you want to tell your child how they came into the world. That's not my place to do. So whatever you guys are comfortable with is what I'm comfortable with. And luckily they were like, you know, they said, um, we are a same sex couple. So our child is going to have questions eventually of where they came from. And we want to be open with them and let them know how they came into the world. And of course, that's going to come with them probably asking about you. So, you know, we, we're going to be open with them, you know, um, Mm -hmm. We want to keep in contact as far as like pictures and videos and stuff. So I was like, that's fine with me. I would love to see pictures and all of that. So we we agreed on a lot of things. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I know this is probably something you talk, You had mentioned you talked to your husband about. So it's just a question because I'm like, I know nothing. So were your own eggs used or is that – Especially since, I mean, I don't know, were your own eggs used at all or? No. So with gestational surrogacy, so I'm a gestational surrogate. There is traditional surrogacy when, you know, the woman, it's the woman's eggs and the sperm. Um, But Mm -hmm. I'm a gestational surrogate. So in my case, the dads did use um, an egg donor and they created their embryos using both of their sperm. Um. And then they genetically tested their embryos. So some of them are one of the dads, some of them are the other dads. And the ones that were the healthiest were the ones that got frozen for the embryo transfer. Okay. That makes sense. It was IVF. So how was that for you? Like that whole process mentally, physically, emotionally? Because we've had people on that have shared their IVF story and, you know, it's hard. There's a lot of things that go into it. So how was it for you? Yeah, it was, I don't want to say it was hard because I, I don't want to discredit, you know, other women that go through IVF. Um, for me overall, the hardest thing I want to say was just at the beginning. So after you get matched, you get um, sent to your intended parents fertility clinic. They happen to be using a fertility clinic that was out of state. So I had to fly um, out there. And um, they do a medical evaluation, a physical evaluation. Overall, they do blood work. I had to get, um, I forget what it's called, a sonohysterogram or something like that, where basically they fill up my uterus with fluid, like saline fluid, to measure the lining of my uterus um, before I even started any medications, any of that. And when they did that, um, they noticed that my the lining of my uterus was really thin because since I don't get um, regular periods, I don't have a normal cycle, all of that stuff. So there was something wrong with the lining of my uterus. So I had to do a mock cycle with uh, medication first. So I had to do a mock cycle with estrogen for three weeks, I want to say. So that was a little frustrating because that everything that any little hiccup that happens during the surrogacy process just pushes everything back longer and longer. And at this point, we were already a really long time in because when I initially applied was at the end of 2019. And then of course COVID happened. 
So everything mm-hmm. got put on hold, right? So, you know, that was a little frustrating. So I had to do a, a mock cycle with medications. And then um, when I did that, I had to go to a, moder- a monitoring clinic here in El Paso. So I had to go multiple times for multiple blood work, um, multiple ultrasounds and all of that. Once I got past the mock cycle and they're like, okay, her body responded to the to the medications, I got started on the, the real medication. Mm-hmm. And that was, it was interesting because <laughs> I had never injected myself before. So right. I had to do a lot of injections. My Luckily, my husband's in the medical field. So he did all of my progesterone injections. So they, let me back up. They gave me, I had to do estrogen orally three times a day. And then they gave me estrogen patches that I had to put on. And I think those lasted like, I had to change the patches every three to five days, something like that. And then I was on Lupron, um, which was actually the only medication that I had a reaction to. The Lupron, for some reason, I don't know if it was a combination of the Lupron and the estrogen, but they gave me really bad headaches. So for those, you know, however many weeks I was on the Lupron, I just had a headache every day. So that sucked. Um, And then I started the progesterone injections right before the embryo transfer. And I want to say I started it five days before my transfer. So I was doing progesterone injections for five days, had my transfer, from the date of your transfer, you need to do progesterone for 10 weeks. So that's one injection every day every night. for 10 weeks. So that's a total of 70 on top of the ones that I was doing with the Lupron, which those ones go in your belly area. So I was able to do those because I could see what I was doing in front of me. My husband was doing the progesterone because those go in your butt, which is not fun. So overall... I didn't have really much reactions, like I said, except to the Lupron. It was more physically. The progesterone injections were so painful um, because they're in a thick oil, right? Thick, yeah. Yeah. And there's only a certain quadrant of your glute muscle that you can do the inje- the injections into. So once you're you run out of space, <laughs> you run out of spots. Yes, exactly. You know, cause you start getting knots. You can massage it as much as you want. You can use a heating pad as much as you want. I don't care what anyone says. You're going to get knots in your muscle, in your butt, and you're going to get bruising. You're going to get red. Your skin is always going to be hot. For some reason, for me, my, my, my butt was always hot and red, like hot to the touch. Um, so that was the hardest part. There was a couple of times when I cried. I was like, this is so painful and I don't want to do this, but I have to, like, this is for the greater good. This is for the baby. This is for the parents. We've come this far. Like I have to do this. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't an option. So that was probably the hardest was just muscling through and getting through the 10 weeks of the injections. Wow. And we're, were you in contact with the parents through this, like through the start of this process yes. as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So as soon as we, um, as soon as we officially matched, um, you know, they gave us each other's contact info and I didn't know if they were going to want to just do, you know, email. I didn't know because on top of that, I can't give too much away, but they were in another country. So I didn't know how the language barrier was going to be. Luckily, they they um, 
were pretty good with their English. So, you know, that was great. Um, and they were the ones that initiated starting a group chat. So we had, we started a group chat just through text. So we were, you know, in contact throughout the entire process from literally from when we got matched to, to even today. Wow. And when did you match? Cause you started in 2019 and then when, mm-hmm. when did you match with them? Um, I matched, I want to say, let me think. We matched officially November of 2020. Yeah. November, 2020. Oh my gosh. So they were waiting a long time too. Yeah. They started, uh huh. They told me that they, well, they told me that they started their whole process, um, like at the beginning of 2020. And again, with the pandemic, it halted everything everything for so long. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And for when you had to fly out, all of that is like covered by, by the agency or whoever, all of that it's. Yes. Uh So that was actually um, another step in the process that I forgot to mention too. Um, After you do your psych evaluation, once you're, I mean, I'm sorry, not your psych evaluation, your physical evaluation. So after, you know, you get um, sent out to the, um, what's it called? The fertility clinic and you get medically cleared, then you start your contracts. So when you start contracts, um, yes, of course, the everything is paid for. Everything, the intended parents actually, when signing up with an agency, they actually have to open an escrow account. And there always has to be a certain amount of money in that escrow account, which is a third party, you know, facilitator that does all the finances because between the intended parents and the surrogate, they never, they don't want us to really, I shouldn't have to be dealing with payment. I shouldn't have to be dealing with, Hey, um, I need this medication or, Hey, you know, my monthly payment didn't go through whatever the case. So my agency helps facilitate a third party that does all the financial stuff. So for everything, for the intended parents at least, they always have to have a certain amount of money in that account. Um, so my flight, my hotel, um, food, all of that was was paid for, is paid for. Um, and then all of that, once you start your contracts, you know, you start talking about all the different things that they're going to finance. It doesn't cost anything to be a surrogate. So the parents take care of everything. And were you flying to that fertility clinic often or was it? No, I just did that one time. Yeah. I just did two trips. So I did my initial one um, for my physical evaluation. And then um, the second one was for the embryo transfer. And for the embryo transfer, my husband did get to come with me. And we were there. The first one actually was overnight. I was literally in and out of one day of the city in one day. I flew out like in the evening. I flew out like in the evening. I had my appointment eight o'clock in the morning. And then I flew out like at three or four in the afternoon. So I was literally back in El Paso, like within 24 hours. Yeah. Wow. And when you went to go to the embryo transfer, how was that? That one, so we flew out, that one was with my husband because I did need, um, well, they said I needed to be on bed rest. Once I got to the fertility clinic, they were like, we actually encourage you to get up and walk around, like do light, you know, activity. 
Um, but he did get to go with me also for the emotional support. I want to say we flew out like in the morning and then I had the whole, we had the whole day in the city that the fertility clinic was, we had the whole day there. Um, I had to be at the clinic the following day, like at six in the morning for blood work and all of that stuff. And then my embryo transfer was like at noon or like at noon or something like that. So we went to the clinic did all the blood work and everything, um, went back to the hotel for a little bit, and then went back to the clinic, did the embryo transfer. And that was such an amazing experience. Honestly, everybody at the fertility clinic was so amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, the embryo transfer itself. So I, you know, had my legs up in the stirrups and everything. And I was able, there was actually a screen and I was able to watch it like actually happen, which was cool. And the intended parents were um, on FaceTime. So they got to watch it. And wow. yeah, it was, it was painless. Honestly, I, what was more, the most uncomfortable was the speculum. Wow. <laughs> that was the most uncomfortable part of it, but the actual transfer itself, it was painless afterwards. It was, it was great. How long did you have to stay in the city where the, the center was at? I We flew out the next day. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's so we were only there for three days. Mm -hmm. And then were you nervous, like, that the the embryo wasn't going to take? Were, was there any sort of feelings of yes, nervousness? I, I know. <laughs> yeah, I was super nervous, mostly because, of course, like, you know, you – look online and you seek out all this information and there can be 500 success stories. And then you're going to focus on the three that you saw that the embryo transfer didn't work. So of course I was like, I really hope this, I really hope the baby sticks. I hope, I hope it works. I hope, I hope, I hope. And um, they actually tell you not to test at home, which I did not listen to. I was like, I can't, I can't, how am I, I can't not, like I have an embryo inside of me that it's going to turn into a baby, you know, like, right. um, and I had my blood, my blood test 10 days after the embryo transfer. Mm -hmm. And I want to say I started testing on like the second day I got home and maybe like two days later, I started taking at home pregnancy tests. Of course, the first like three were negative and I was right. like, oh, that's it. It's over. I'm done. Like. It didn't work, you know, automatically thinking the worst. And then on the fifth day, I got a positive test and I was like, <gasps> like it took my breath away. Like I knew that I was getting pregnant. I knew I was trying to get pregnant, but still seeing that positive test was still like a, <gasps> oh my gosh. And then I, I took a test you. every day after that. Yeah. I took a test every day after that. Um, I didn't tell the parents though, because I didn't want to you know, get them excited, like, oh, she's pregnant. And then we get the blood work and it's right. not, you know, so we waited until the blood test and yeah, I was pregnant. Wow. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you told them, but I'm glad you didn't. Cause yeah, like you said, it's like, it's hard. It's mm -hmm. a weird time to be in. Yeah. And so how was the pregnancy after you're like, I'm pregnant? How did everything go? Oh my gosh. 100, like 100% 100 different from my I was going to ask because I know um, you had this like hopes and dreams of like being yes. pregnant again because it was so great. <laughs> so I'm yes. like, did it match up? <laughs> yes. And I was like, everyone, everyone 
who has multiple children tell me every pregnancy is different. It's not going to be the same. And I'm like, no, but mine are. No, we always want to be the exception Uh, to the rule. (laughs) No, no, no. It's going to be fine. Like it was perfect the first time. It's going to be great the second time. No, I had every freaking, oh my God, like textbook pregnancy symptoms. I, and it was hard too, because I was still working at the time. I, um, I was bartending and I remember once the symptoms really kicked in and I, I couldn't, I didn't want to tell anybody either. I didn't want to tell anybody that I was, my close friends knew and my family, but I didn't want to go to work and be nauseous and having to explain to people, oh, I'm pregnant, but oh, it's not mine, but oh, I'm a surrogate. You know, I, I didn't want to have to deal, do any of that. So <clears throat> I, um, yeah, it was hard. <laughs> it was hard. I had to stop working because I was so sick at the beginning and tired. I literally could not function throughout the day without taking a nap. I could not, I couldn't eat anything. It was, it was rough. Like the first, all the way up until I want to say like 14 weeks, maybe I was sick. I was tired. I was losing weight, all, everything, anything that you can find about being pregnant. I had. Wow. And then, but luckily the second trimester was amazing. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. This is why I loved pregnancy. <laughs> this is what, this is what was great about it. Um, and then the end, the last month was miserable. Of course, everyone's miserable, <laughs> the ending. Um, and not only that, but this is, I didn't know this, but you know, since the baby is not genetically yours, in my case, the, the, the baby wasn't genetically mine. So it did have a, a different toll on my body. And my doctor, my OB would tell me all the time, like, this isn't your genetics. So you're not going to have the same pregnancy. Um, and he was right. <laughs> I didn't. And this baby was a lot bigger than my son was. So towards the end, it was so much harder because my body wasn't, with my previous pregnancy, my body wasn't used to carrying a big baby like that. Right. So, you know, towards the end, it was rough. It was so hard. And so Marcy, uh, you know, we, we've done so many interviews with moms that have babies through the pandemic and how hard it was during appointments. So you being pregnant during this weird time where like, you know, your spouse isn't coming to come with you to this, like, how was that of a difference, you know, going from a, a pregnancy that, yeah, you hire a spouse with you all the time to now, mm-hmm carrying this different kind of like pregnancy journey. Yeah, it was different, you know, because with my husband, um, the first, with my son, he came to every single one of my appointments. You know, we were, he was a hundred percent, like he'd never missed a single appointment. Um, and this one, it was a little bit different because, um, I guess without sounding harsh or insensitive, like it wasn't his baby. So I was kind of like, I mean, you're not obligated to come to these appointments. Like it's not, you know, like I, it's fine if you don't. And with my son, you know, he would have to miss work or take time off of work or go on his lunchtime, you know, sacrifice that kind of stuff to be at the appointments. So this time around, since it wasn't his baby or mine, Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, it's okay. You don't have to come to the appointments. It's fine. I was more concerned with relaying the information to the intended parents because Mm -hmm. my, my, um, doctor's office didn't let me FaceTime them. So that was hard too. You know, like I felt bad for them because I wanted them to see everything and be involved. But 
luckily he did let me take videos of um, the heartbeat. So we would listen to the heartbeat every time we went. So I was able to record that and I was able to send pictures of the ultrasound. My doctor would let me take pictures, you know, of the baby's face or his profile or whatever pictures we got that day. So, you know, it was just different because I wasn't, I didn't have anybody physically there with me. Um, And a lot of the stuff was just done through pictures, videos and stuff like that. But I will say, I'm sorry. Oh, and I was going to say, did the intended parents come to see you during your pregnancy or not? Yes. Yeah, that's what I was about to say, actually. Well, they didn't come during the pregnancy, but they were here. So contractually, they had to be here two weeks before my due date. Um, So they did come to El Paso and they did get to make one appointment because we only had one appointment before I delivered from when they got here because I actually delivered a week early, earlier than my due date. So they were here for, um, I want to say like four or five days before we delivered. So they were able to make one appointment. But even with that, only one person was able to go in the room. So both of the dads didn't get to go in. Only one of them did. Mm. But it was still nice for him to go. He he liked it. And were they involved at all in like, or the agency or anyone in picking the OB that you would see, be it picking the hospital that you would give birth at, anything like that? No, they actually let me you know, choose my doctor. And I went with the same doctor that um, delivered my son. And I ended up delivering at the same hospital that I delivered my son at. My husband swears it was the same room, but I'm like, okay. (laughs) He's like, no, because I know. I remember looking out the window, I can see the freeway. Like, you know, he was like, he swears we were in the same room. And I was like, okay, we're in the same room. Sure. (laughs) But no, yeah. So they let me, they let me choose. Um, Obviously it did come down um, it did play a factor in who my, who the insurance would cover, but luckily right. my doctor was covered by the insurance. So it worked out. I'm like getting chills just thinking about it because, you know, just relieving a whole pregnancy, but it's just exciting for you, right? Like as the delivering person, I guess in this case, like it's exciting for you, but to think that it's going to be so like monumental, like such a life change for someone else, like. I don't know, the whole time I was getting chills just thinking about when you were testing for the pregnancy. I'm like, is that just your excitement? It's like, I don't know. It just like, yeah. it's so much like. It's bigger, yeah. Yeah, I feel like so happy that it was like for someone else so much. That I mean, not that it didn't mean anything to you, but I can feel how much more it can right. for them. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just so exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, the whole thing is, uh, it's such a, and you want to know, like, it's such a crazy you know, you can hype yourself up. Like I'm doing this for someone else. Like I can't wait to see them with the baby. It literally doesn't hit you until you see them with the baby, you know, just like, I guess, preparing yourself for a pregnancy. Like I can't wait for my baby to be here. You really don't understand what it feels like. And yeah, just how everything sets in until you see them with their baby. The baby. And that was such a, uh, even my husband He's like, I'm so happy for them. Like, I'm so happy you were able to do this. They are such good people. And you can tell how once I saw them like holding the baby and just being affectionate with him, I was like, wow, they have wanted this for a long time. You know, so that was amazing. And through the pregnancy, Marcy, were there like 
I guess because a lot of people asked if you grew attachment to the baby and how you navigated kind of keeping your mind in check that like it's not your baby, right? but you know you're the vessel for the baby. And I mean, you mm-hmm. know, it's still a connection because the baby's inside of you. So I'm sure yeah. it's hard to – and how yeah. did you deal with that? You know, that's the main – literally anytime I tell people, oh, I'm a surrogate, and you don't – and you're not attached to the baby? And I'm like – no. So the way that I explain it and the way that um, really resonated with me was actually the way another I saw another surrogate explain it. Um, and the way that she explained it was, you know, parenting and pregnancy and all of that is all about intention, right? So you get pregnant, you carry a baby for yourself with the intention of, I'm going to raise this baby. I'm going to watch this baby grow up. I'm going to grow my family, all of this stuff. I went into surrogacy with zero intention of wanting another child. I have my child. My family is complete. I love my child. I don't have the desire for another child. So I went in with the intention, knowing I'm helping someone else. I'm giving someone else a child, you know? Um, so I, I, no, I didn't, I didn't grow an attachment to him. Obviously I care about him, right? Like I love seeing pictures and when I got to hold him, I was like, oh my God, like I did that. But then, you know, as soon as he started crying, I was like, oh, here you go. Here's your baby back. I had no, I remember um, <laughs> when we took my son to meet him, I was holding him. They let me, and that's what was so amazing about my intended parents too, is they let me hold the baby, visit with the baby, all of that stuff. A lot of parents don't let the surrogates do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, they, so we went to go visit them. I took my son to go meet the baby and everything. And, um, you know, I was holding him and he started crying and they were like, oh, it's time for him to eat. Do you want to feed him? And I was like, no, (laughs) like I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't have that urge. You know, I didn't have that like maternal, like, oh my gosh, he's crying. Let me calm him down. Let me feed him. Let me care for him. I was like, no, you can feed him. He's yours. Yeah. Like, here you go. You need to learn how to do it. Right. So, no, I, I'm, and you know, it might sound harsh. Some people might not understand it, but for me, I don't want another child. I don't want a baby. I don't want to raise another child. You know, I did this solely to help another family and I knew what it was going into it. During the pregnancy, did you get asked like, like, is this making you feel like I hope you probably did by so many people? Yes. <laughs> Your face says it all. <laughs> oh my God. Even my dad, we were at Christmas, I want to say. And, you know, I'm sitting there with my belly and he's like, so, you know, Marcy can still have babies. And I'm like, I'm literally having a baby right now. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, but afterwards, like, you know, your body is doing really good. And, you know, look at Ezra. You guys made a great, a beautiful baby. And I'm like, I know. And I already did it once. We've told you this, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I would get that all the time. And I would just, you know, some people you, especially it depends on how comfortable you are with the people that ask you, like, you just laugh it off. Like, oh no, haha. No, we're just having the one. And then, you know, eventually when you get asked so many times, especially when it comes to family, it's like, no, you want another baby? You have another baby. I'm not having another baby. I'm done. <laughs> you know, so yeah, we would get asked. And there was even one time we were at Denny's, I remember. And it was just a day. I just was not feeling it. I was just 
pregnant and not having. And the waitress is like, what are you having? And I was like, oh, it's a boy. She's like, oh, congratulations. And I was just like, yeah, thank you. And when she walked away, my husband was like, you didn't feel like correcting her, huh? And I was like, I'm not, I don't feel like it today. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's, like a, it's a long explanation. You're just like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was times when I would just be like, people would be like, oh, congratulations. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. And then there were other people that I knew were going to, you know, like friends that were going to be part of my life that I would have to explain it, you know? So I was going to say, no, it's just like when you were talking about the attachment and that I can't remember if it was a movie or a book that I read, I think Santa Blur, but it was, it was this couple that adopted a child. They couldn't have a child uh, on this. I think it was a book. And they were asking the sister to be a surrogate. The sister didn't feel comfortable, but they ended up adopting this child. And I remember in one of the dialogues in the book, the, the grandmother was like, but it's not your baby. Like she made that comment, like, it's not your baby. Mm-hmm. How can you love this baby? And the parents in the book were saying, you raise, you raise sometimes your nieces or your nephews, yet that child still knows who their parents are. And when you were saying that about intention, it's so true, right? Because you can love your friend's baby. You can love your sibling's baby, but it's not the same intention and love that you have when you're meaning to be the parent. So when you mm-hmm. were saying that about intention, it really reminded me of that scene in the book because it's like, it's true. Even though they're not the biological parents of the baby, it it's all about the intention and the love and how you go about raising your child. So I can mm-hmm. put a distinction on it because it's so true. Like I'm trying to think about like, okay, I went through pregnancy wanting a baby. So right. I can see where from day one, the excitement starts for yourself. Yes. For someone else. And I'm telling you, like, it just gives me chills just thinking about how exciting it would be for them. I mean, just thinking about how bad I wanted a baby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. but then I'm like, wow. So I just wanted to point out because it was what you were saying. Intention is so, it shapes so much of the way that we go about things and how we form that bond with our children. Right. 100%. Mm-hmm. And how was your your birth experience this time? Did you get induced again? Oh my goodness. <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> it was honestly, that's why once I posted like, oh, the baby's born, everyone started messaging me like, how was it? And I was like, you guys, I need to process this because it was traumatic. Mm. I had, oh. I, oh my gosh. With my son, it was literally like, it was great. I was numb the entire time. Came time to push. Mm-hmm. One, two, three. Boom. Baby. Mm-hmm. No. This time, I did get induced again. So I got okay. induced at 39 weeks again. Even with that, let me just start out. I had to check into the hospital at midnight, right? So I want to say it was the night of, and it was maybe like 9 o'clock. And the hospital that I was going to deliver at, my sister-in-law actually delivered her daughters there also. And with her second one, she got induced. And there was this whole thing that she was supposed to go in at midnight. She showed up. They didn't have rooms. They sent her back home and was like, oh, we'll call you. They never called her. She called them back. And they're like, oh, yeah, you can come in now. And it's like, you couldn't tell me, like, as soon as you got a room, like, you wouldn't think that's priority to, like, we have someone waiting, you know, so whatever. So I knew that happened. So I told my husband, like, I'm going to call the hospital and see if they have a room available. I called, no room. And I was like, now what do we do? Because I had already registered at this hospital. I literally based the hospital off of what was closest to my intended parents, Airbnb, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was Mm -hmm. like this, like the baby, we already have this planned out. So 
luckily my doctor also works out of um another hospital which was the hospital that i delivered my son at so they called that hospital they had a room available so then i had to text the parents and let them know like change of plans change of hospital are you okay with this before i even told the hospital that i was okay with it i had to check in with them because they obviously have a say in everything every decision that goes into it so whatever we get that taken care of go to the other hospital fine um, we get there. My husband can't come up with me because we have my son with us. So he couldn't come up to check in with me. So I had to go up by myself. Um, it was just a lot. It was a whole cluster to get checked in. So fast forward, I'm checked in and everything. So that was just adding more stress because I'm like, this is already going haywire. This is not what I planned. The other hospital had my birth plan, had all of the, I literally had printed out documents that my agency the the agency gave me like a template of how what to take with me to the hospital and in that was um a birth plan and I typed it out um to explain to everybody this is not my baby I'm a surrogate please don't refer to me as the mom I'm not the mom you know when baby's born we had to like specify in there not to put baby on my chest you know no one gets to hold the baby except the parents first so all of that stuff I had already done with the previous hospital. So now I had to do all of that with this hospital. So whatever. We check in. Um, and yeah, since I was induced, um, they started, they did start a little bit earlier giving me the medication. They gave me, like I said, those little pills to put into my cervix to get it to start softening and all of that stuff. They did start a little earlier, but um, yeah, it, I mean, getting there took a little bit longer, so I was already used to that. I was already expecting that. Mm -hmm. um, I did hold off on getting the epidural a little longer this time. When I got my epidural the first time, I was like half a centimeter dilated, so I didn't feel any. I didn't feel any contractions. I didn't feel anything. This time, mm -hmm. I want. I waited till I was like five or six centimeters already, mm -hmm. and I had. You know, they had already started me on. The medication to induce labor so i was feeling contractions i was like having to breathe through them all of that stuff my my doctor came and broke my water and i hadn't got my epidural yet and that was so painful when he broke it the first time literally all i felt was like warmth on my legs mm -hmm. which is like the fluid coming out this right. time i felt him reach in there i they brought him like this little thing it looked like a hook to break the sack and I saw that and I literally remember saying no 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 like I don't want this he was already in there it was too late um not that I didn't want it but I just knew it was going to be painful so I was like no I don't want the pain right. um so yeah I I you know got to experience more of like actual labor and then my husband wasn't with me all the way up until then he didn't come until once I got my epidural I was like okay you need to come to the hospital now like I don't know how fast this is going to progress. Um, once I got the epidural and they broke my water, I remember it took me a while to get up to five centimeters. Um, when I went into the hospital, I was already three. So, you know, just those extra two took a long time for some reason. I don't know if it was like myself, like, you know, mind over, mind over like my body, you know. Um, I don't know if my mind was just like stressing my body out. So it, I wasn't dilating fast enough or I wasn't progressing. But once I got the epidural, um, I remember I was five centimeters and then I went all the way up to eight 
in like 45 minutes. Wow. And the nurse came in and she's like, well, you've been progressing slowly. Let's see. And they did a check and she's like, I saw her eyes like get big and she's like, you're about eight centimeters. And I look at the clock and I was like, it hasn't even been like an hour. So that progressed pretty quickly. But then from eight to nine, once I got to nine, it stopped, it slowed down and I didn't progress anymore. And that's when, that's when it got rough. That's when the trauma started. Um, my doctor, he was like, you know, you're about nine centimeters. We can get you up to 10. Um, but I need you to start doing some practice pushes when you get contractions. Cause the baby was still pretty high up. And we did that for an hour. I was pushing for an hour, like physically every contraction pushing like three times. And then it, it went up to four times for every contraction I had, they would have me push, like take a deep breath, push for 10 seconds, take a deep breath, push. I did that four times for every contraction. And my contractions for that whole hour were coming every like minute and a half. So it was tiring. It was so tiring. All at the same time, my doctor is physically, I still have the image in my head. He's physically going in and like manually, like pulling my pelvis apart and opening it up to try to get the baby to move into a position. So that was rough. Um, yeah, it was just, it was hard. I remember at one point in between contractions, just laying my head back and I just started sobbing and I was crying and they're like, it's okay. Like, you know, you're, it's working. And I'm like, it's not working. Like if, if this was working, we wouldn't be an hour into it. You know, like he's, this is not working. And everyone's telling me like, yes, it is. It is. It is whatever. So I was like, well, I got to keep going. Like I've, I'm already, I've already made it this far. So yeah, that took a, it took a long time. It took a long time to get him, to get him out this time. And were the intended parents there during the birth or they were just to come after he was born? Um, no. So actually that was a whole thing too, because in my contract, um, they were, they had first dibs basically of being in the room. So like if the hospital allowed two people in the room, they were the two people. So I went into it mentally preparing myself to not have my husband there, to not have a support person there. I was like, I'm going to do this by myself. It's fine. I've given birth before. It's fine. No, luckily, luckily they told me, um, since the baby is his own patient, he got to support people and I get to support people. So I was oh, able to, my husband, yes. When they told me that I had such like relief come over me. Yeah. Um, cause I wanted him there, you know, he's, it's not his baby. It's not my baby, but it's still me. Like I still wanted yeah. someone there for me. So luckily my husband was able to be there um, and the intended parents were able to be there too. Um, the doctor did hold off on bringing them into the room until the baby was in position to come out because since I had to push for so long to get him into like my birth canal, he wanted to hold off in case for whatever reason I had to be rushed off to do like an emergency C-section or something. So once, you know, that whole hour, it was just my husband and I, the nurses, the doctor. And then once the baby got into the position, they said, okay, go get the parents. The doctor said, go get the parents. So they came in and they were there for the actual like birth. They got to see him come out. Um, they did kind of stand off to the side. My husband was there full, like holding my head and 
like helping me push and he was looking and telling me like his head is out like one more put you know he was full on I guess he just you know transformed back into like the first time how he was the first time when my son was born um because he was all in there he told me like I don't want to look this time like I looked with when Ezra was born I I have enough of that picture to last me a lifetime (laughs) I don't want to look again but no when it when it was actually happening, he was all up in there. So, and the parents were like off to the side. I know one of them told me that he gets really like nervous around blood and stuff like that. So he's like, I'm just going to kind of stand off to the side. So yeah, they did. They gave me my privacy, you know, they stood off to the side and um, yeah, the baby was born. Um, One of the dads got to cut the umbilical cord and they took him off to the, like the little thing with the lights over it to right. do all of that. And, and, you know, they were over there with the baby. My husband was over here with me. Was it a little bit traumatic for your husband as well? Cause I mean, just how you were experiencing everything and I'm sure it does not sound easy at all. Yeah. And, you know, having that manual like work being done as well. Was he kind of like, this is not what I was expecting. Yes. To happen. He literally, he told me afterwards, he's like, dude, your body went through trauma. And he's like, I don't know how much you could see, but from the angle I was looking at, like, I, I don't know how you're, I don't know how you survived. (laughs) He's like, I've never seen that much blood. I didn't know a body could open that wide. (laughs) Like I didn't, I was like, yeah, cause it it was rough. And my doctor, oh my gosh, delivering the placenta too. um, He was pulling on it and like pushing on my stomach to get my placenta out and it wasn't coming out. So he had to go in physically and scrape it off of my uterine wall. So he's like, your doctor was literally like up to his elbow. His whole entire arm was in there. And I was like, yeah, dude, I didn't see that. (laughs) You did, not me. So yeah, he was like, he was like, that was so like the visual, I guess, for him because he was seeing it from an entirely different angle than I was. And it, it was traumatic for me because I was feeling everything, but he was seeing everything. So, you know, he was more concerned, I guess, for my my well-being. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting because since in my doula work, like the angle that we get is just sometimes <laughs> the mom's not aware of what's happening and I'm glad that she's not. But, you know, it's kind of like the, the front view. You're like, and, you know, I'm a nurse. So, like, I've seen this stuff before. So, to me, it's kind of like, But, you know, comforting the spouse because Mm -hmm. sometimes they're like, what, like, is that supposed to be happening? Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're just like trying to keep them calm because they're like, what in the world, you know? Yeah. And it was crazy. I remember um, from the angle that I could see, I just remember I would see my doctor get like lube, I guess, on his hands to help like lubricate the area. And I would just see him get it and then go in and kind of like do what he had to do. And then he would pull his hands out and just like wait for the next contraction. And there was just like blood all over his gloves. And I was like, how is all of that coming out of me? And I'm still alive. (laughs) Yeah. It was traumatic. I'm telling you, it was, it was so different from my experience with my son. After when, after I had my son, I mean, I was in pain obviously, but you know, it was mentally, I was maybe also because I had a baby. So I couldn't really dwell on like my birth. I was kind of like, okay, I got to feed him now. Mm -hmm. So this time around, Mm -hmm. I literally, I went to my um, recovery room 
and my husband, ha- my husband had to come home because he had to take care of, of Ezra. Um, mm-hmm. So I was by myself. So I was kind of left with my thoughts. I was left with, I was alone in my room, no baby. My husband had to leave. Um, so I was just kind of laying there like, what the hell just happened? You know? Wow. And kind of letting all of that sink in. And, and, and it took me days to process, to even like start talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, once I came home, I would be like, that was crazy. And my husband would kind of start telling me and I would just kind of shut down and be like, yeah, yeah, that was crazy. That's all I could really say until maybe like mm-hmm. four or five days later, then I started like bits and pieces would start coming back to me mm-hmm. of the delivery. And I was like, oh, remember when this happened? Oh, remember this? And he would tell me stuff that I didn't remember. So it took a while to process everything. Even now, this is the first time I'm in depth talking with someone about everything. No, and I mean, thank you so much for for speaking to us about it. I know it's not, you don't know us and (laughs) we don't know, we don't know you and maybe that makes it a little easier, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but I'm glad that you're able to talk about it. Um, Mm -hmm. Cause yeah, it can be hard. I always, when you were talking about it compared to, I try to relate from my, I used to work in ICU. So I would see a lot of like crazy stuff and I'm like traumatized from a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And my husband would always be like, why don't you talk about it after work? But I couldn't, like my mind was like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't mm-hmm. need to remember what I saw, you know, and yeah. eventually like you kind of like slowly start to like, oh, this happened, this happened. But yeah, it's just that it takes a while to process things. So sometimes yeah. you have to be gentle with our friends that just gave birth, especially when you don't know what happened, that they might not want to speak about it right away. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we really appreciate you sharing with us that because I know. I mean, yeah. we're honored that you you're, you're speaking with us. Yeah. Um, that sounds very lonely. The the immediate postpartum, like you know, kind of when reality sinks in. And I know you were very realistic, and I think, I mean, it sounds like it was very helpful that you don't want more kids, so you were able to like not, you know, because I can't imagine if you wanted more kids, it might be a little bit more, like, hard to grasp everything yeah. that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just like that picture that you painted like alone in the post, you know, post delivery by yourself and just kind of like what happened, you know, mm-hmm. you painted a very vivid picture in my mind. Yeah. So. And you know what? It's, it's the truth because surrogacy is not always rainbows and butterflies. It's a beautiful thing we're doing and it's the process is amazing. The journey is amazing. Just what science and our bodies are able to do. And the gift that we're able to give someone, all of that is beautiful, but the reality of it's not always, it's not always pretty, you know, some luckily in my situation, um, yes, I was alone and I was alone in the, in the sense also because, you know, we didn't really have anyone to help us take care of our son afterwards. Mm -hmm. So my husband had to come home, you know, if he, If my son was able to spend the night with his grandparents or something, um, he would have been able to be there with me. But that just wasn't the case. That wasn't, that just wasn't the case. Um, So yeah, I was, you know, I was in there alone. Um, But luckily, you know, the parents were texting me. They were literally, I didn't know this until afterwards, but they were right across the hall from me. So if I wanted to, I could have gotten up and walked over there and they would have been okay with me going. But, you know, they were able, like they were sending me, pictures and 
you know, I was able to text them and all that stuff. So that was cool. Um, and it was lonely. It was, you know, I did have moments where I was just laying there like, what the hell just happened? What did I just go through? What, what did I just do? But at the same time, it was, it was kind of nice to sit there and kind of soak it in and be like, wow, I did it. Like I did that, you know? And I, I looked on the bright side of it and I was like, I'm glad I get to sleep now. I got a full (laughs) night's rest. You know, I was like, thank God I don't have someone coming in here telling me like, oh, you know, the baby's ready to eat or I don't have a baby next to me, like waking me up every 30 minutes, you know, like, yeah, that sounds harsh too. But I was like, you know, luckily I get to sleep. Luckily I get to take a nap. I got to sleep throughout the night. I remember they came in once to like do blood work and I was so tired. I was asleep. I don't even know who did it. It could could have been a random person off the street. I have no idea. But she came in to do my blood work and I was asleep. I covered my face with, I put the pillow over my head and I just gave her my arm and she did it real quick. And she's like, okay, thank you. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't even think I spoke. I was so out of it and tired, you know, but I mean, I got to, I got to rest. And I think that's what's helped my recovery so much is sleep. I don't think we understand as postpartum women and mothers, how detrimental sleep is. You know, everyone's like, well, you have a baby now or, you know, everyone makes a joke like, oh, well, sleep while you can because you're not going to sleep when the baby's born. Like, yeah, it's not it's not a joking matter. (laughs) Like we need sleep. We need our sleep. We need. I felt so much better one week after having my son. I mean, having, um, you know, this last baby than I did one month after having my son because I was able to sleep so much and let my body rest and recover right yeah it was so different and how has the postpartum been at home it sounds like it's been okay yeah at least physically it's been great yeah emotionally are you working through what happened yeah no physically 100 it's been amazing physically um and it helps too that i'm still a stay-at-home mom um you know, we set ourselves up for me to be able to stay home at least two months so that I could recover fully. And because I didn't know what right. what my recovery was going to be like, I didn't right. know if I was going to need a C section. So I was like, I'm going to give myself two months before I go back to work. So, and my husband was able to take a week off of work. So he took our son to school, picked him up from school, took him to his T ball practice. He was doing all of like. He was cleaning the house. You know, he was able to do all of that stuff. So that whole first week, I was laying in bed. <laughs> I was in bed. I was on the couch. Um, I didn't really have um, – I was really sore just like in my abdominal area because of how hard my doctor was going in on me trying to get my placenta out. Oh, my God. That was so bad. I even – I think I went into shock afterwards. I got a fever afterwards. That's a whole other – Wow. That was rough. I didn't even touch on that. See the trauma. <laughs> the it's traumatic back to you. Forget. Yeah. yeah. So my doctor really had to go in on me to get my placenta out. And I remember I was shaking uncontrollably for like two hours after birth. Um, I got a fever of 102. They had to like give me medication to bring the fever down. So my body was just really sore afterwards. My neck was sore from, you know, pushing for so long being in like that hunched position when you're pushing. So, you know, it took a, it took about a week and a half to fully get over like 
feeling sore for the swelling to go down. I had an episiotomy, so I had stitches, swelling. Um, so that was kind of rough, you know, the first week or so. And then my milk came in and I wasn't going to pump for my parents, for the intended parents. They didn't um, ask for breast milk. Um, some do, you know, in cases when the intended parents and the surrogate are close to each other, you know, it's easier to pump and all of that stuff and donate or to donate your milk and stuff. I just didn't, since my intended parents weren't asking it of me, um, I had I had explored the option of pumping and donating but towards the end, I was like, you know what? My body has done enough. I've dedicated my body to someone else for so long, even leading up to it, being on my medication and all of that. And I was like, I kind of just want to get back to my normal. So I didn't pump. So I like let it, let my milk supply dry out. And that was super painful. <laughs> Days four and five were the worst. I was crying. Like my husband literally had to help me shower because I couldn't let my breasts like hang there. I had to physically hold them up with one arm. He had to help me shampoo my hair, wash my it was it was rough. I'm literally having like a visceral reaction because <laughs> I'm like that's something that's not talked about enough like how painful. And I mean, I haven't stopped breastfeeding yet. But I've had like the engorgement mm-hmm. where like I, I it is so mm-hmm. bad. That's yeah. something that people don't like. It hurts so much. So I cannot, like, I have so uh-huh. much sympathy because I cannot imagine how painful And my was. milk came in. Let me tell like you. Full like, force? Full <laughs> force. Like, oh, my gosh. It was it was, it was was crazy. Luckily, um, one of my really good friends, she's a doula. Um, mm-hmm. Shout out to my friend Lauren. Yeah, she, she connected us. Hi, Lauren. Yes, yeah. <laughs> she actually encapsulated my placenta. So that's a whole other thing that that I experienced with this pregnancy too that I didn't with my son so she was able to do that for me but um when she came to drop it off um you know I let her know like dude my boobs are huge like what do I do and uh, <laughs> she brought me it's called like the haka so when you're breastfeeding I guess you put it on the opposite breast to catch anything that comes out um and she gave me she like let me borrow hers and um She brought me Epsom salt and all of this stuff and showed me how to like fill it with warm water with Epsom salt to like unclog my ducts. And she's like, you need to relieve yourself because you're going to get mastitis. Like you might get an infection, all of this stuff. So, you know, for those couple of days, I want to say for like two or three days, I would relieve, I would like express in the morning and before bed, just so I could be comfortable throughout the day. And then just ice all day long. I had ice packs. And even to this day, for some reason, I don't know why I still leak. And I'm already four and a half weeks postpartum and I'm still leaking, but it's not painful anymore. So I'll take what I can get. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that sounds rough. Mm-hmm. And w- with everything that you experienced, um, would you do this again? Are you planning on doing this again? <laughs> that's and I know it's super question. early to ask you to, and I almost feel like is it appropriate to ask you because you're so like short. It's like so recent. So if if you don't want to answer, that's fine. (laughs) No, I mean, because I'm even questioning that too within myself. Um, And even then, my um, case manager always tells us, you know, don't even 
don't even consider it until you're three to four months postpartum because physically you can't even if I wanted to um some clinics require you to be six to 12 months postpartum before you can start like the IVF meds and the cycle all over again some Mm -hmm. is as short as six some make you wait the whole 12 so it's not like I could anytime soon if I wanted to anyways Mm -hmm. but I don't know yet (laughs) I don't have a definitive answer. Like my husband and I have talked about it and he's like, I don't want you to do it again because I saw how hard it was on your body. Like Mm -hmm. the birth, the pregnancy, the pregnancy was not as hard, but since it wasn't genetically my child, you know, my body did carry a bigger baby. So I don't know yet. Um, I loved seeing the parents with their son. Like I well, love Let's talk about that a little bit about when you got to see them actually, you know, when everything passed and you got to see them be a family. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh. So even after he had just came out and they cut the umbilical cord and they moved him, they took him over to the little thing on the side. Both of them came up to me and, you know, they didn't like hug me or anything. They just kind of put their hand on my, on my hand and they just said, thank you. That's the only thing, you know, I don't think any of us had words. So they just told me, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, oh, it was just so beautiful. Like <clears throat> seeing, oh, I'm sorry, seeing like all the work that we put into it come to fruition and seeing them holding him, it, especially Obviously, in the moment, you know, everything was so hectic. The The following day when I got discharged from the hospital, I was able to go into their room to see them. And that was just, you know, it was so surreal. Like, I got to hold him and I was looking at him and I was like, you were inside of me. Like, you, this time yesterday, you were still inside of me. Like, it was so mind-blowing. But um, when it really sank in, so five days postpartum uh, is when we took my son to go meet the baby. And we got to go visit them at their Airbnb and just seeing them like holding him, feeding him, doing all this stuff. I was like, wow, like I made that happen and I don't want to just make it all about me. You know, it's, you know, but just knowing that I was able to, to do that, just knowing that I was able to give them that and then seeing them be so appreciative and so like loving with him and tender, like, yeah, they have like their nieces and nephews. So I know that they know how to like hold a baby and stuff. But seeing the dads when they would hold him just be so gentle with him and everything. I was like, they were made for this like this. They've wanted this for so long. And it just made everything like so worth it. And that's one of the reasons that I would consider doing it again. Because just see that feeling is so fulfilling. I don't know how to explain it other than like fulfillment and like, Oh, it's so amazing that I was able to give someone that gift of, of having a child because I know how much love I have for my son. Yeah. I might not like motherhood all the time. It's hard. It's not as fun and pretty as everyone makes it seem, but the love that I have for my son is unmatched. I have never loved anything more. And you don't understand the love that you have for your child until you have a child. So being able to give them that, I know what they're feeling. 
because I have that for my son. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just so fulfilling and it's so like, it's so amazing. And that's one of the reasons I would consider doing it again. And how was your son when he met the baby? He said he was, was he cute. excited. <laughs> yeah. He he's cute. Yeah. He was like, he's so cute. Um, oh. No, I mean, it was, it was great. And it was honestly, that's something that I talked about with the parents and I let them know right from the beginning when the, the first Skype call that we ever had, um, I let them know, like, my son has to meet the baby. I'm not going to leave him with questions because yeah. anyone that knows my son, he's very smart. He's very smart. He's very inquisitive. He asks a lot of questions and he understands more than I think we understand that he understands. Right. So I let them know right off the bat, like he needs to meet the baby. He needs to see him. Um, I need to let him have that closure. Just like I need that closure. I need to let him have that closure and understand, okay, my mommy had a baby. This is the baby. And this is the baby with the baby's parents. So he can understand the whole process. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, visually, because I might not be able to explain it with words in a way that he can understand, but him visually seeing it will help him understand if that makes sense. No, I thought that was that's like super smart that you did that. I think Mm -hmm. super caring for him as well because you closed that chapter for him and he's Mm -hmm. like, he saw it all the way through and he's like, Mom and Dad didn't lie to me. Like, this is really what happened. And you know what? I've heard horror stories. Like I'm telling you, we, in my um, support group, one mom, um, I don't want to go too much into her story, but she let us know that, you know, they had this understanding that she was going to be able to do that with her children afterwards also. And as soon as the baby was born, she said that the parents took the baby and left the hospital and that was it. They never, you know, she never got, she herself never got to see the baby, hold the baby. She didn't get to have her children experience that closure either. And I couldn't imagine. I would feel so heartbroken if that happened to me, you know, because it's one thing for Mm -hmm. you as a surrogate, like you understand that could be a possibility, but to have that heartbreak for your child, to not be able to understand it, I couldn't imagine. So I got so lucky that they were so... They even let him feed him. Like the parents actually had their mothers come into town. So one of the grandmas was there holding the baby, um, feeding him. And they were like, do you want to feed him? So they let him like hold the bottle and, you know, just little cute wow. interactions like that. I was like, this is so amazing. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. so glad that it sounds like you had parents that were, you know, very nice and kind mm-hmm. to you through the whole yeah. and cared about your family too, mm-hmm. you know? And they let, they even told us like, you're a part of our story now. You're a part of our life. So even to this day, yesterday, they sent me pictures, you know, just like little updates here and there. They're asking me like, how's everything going with you? You know, they're very, they're very caring. They're so, and like I said, I am so lucky because it's not, that is not always really the case. Sense. And that's not something that's talked about in surrogacy. Right. And what advice, talking about that, what advice would you give to someone that is interested in becoming a surrogate? Um, Do your research because a lot of agencies promise a lot of things. And you need to remember that agencies, yes, they're there to help you and they are amazing. 
but they're also making money too. So make sure you do your research, make sure you find an agency that you're comfortable with and don't be afraid to break or to fire your agency. You know, that's a mine. My agency was so amazing. My agency, everybody that took care of me, everybody all around, even at the fertility clinic, you know, everybody was so amazing. But like I said, that's not always the case. And as a surrogate, you need to advocate for yourself. And if something is making you feel uncomfortable, you don't ever have to feel, you know, like you can't say, no, I'm not doing that. Or no, this is not okay. Even when it comes to making your contracts, that's not something we really touched on, but the legality of surrogacy is insane. I had no idea all of the legal stuff that went into it. Um, and when it comes to drafting up your contract with your lawyer, um, don't be afraid to put stuff in there. Don't be afraid to set your boundaries, to set your expectations and everything. You need to advocate for yourself 100%. Your, your agency will advocate for you and your lawyers will advocate for you. Your doctor should advocate for you. But don't be afraid to speak up for yourself because at the end of the day, yes, you're carrying someone else's child, but you are the one carrying the child. So you need to speak up for yourself. So that's something because I was kind of like hesitant to speak up with some things. Um, And just from my experience and other surrogates experience that have done multiple journeys, everyone says the same thing. Um, Speak up for yourself because the first time around you might not speak up as much as you want to. So if anyone can take anything from my experience is just speak up. If something's not making you comfortable, you don't have to go through anything you're not comfortable with. And yeah, when it comes to picking your intended parents also, don't pick the first ones that come around just because you're so excited to do it and you want to get pregnant and you want to... I actually had um, one other parent profile before I had these parents. And, um, you know, I went over that. It was a single father from China. And um, I don't know, something about it just wasn't, I just wasn't vibing with. I just wasn't getting like the the feeling that I got when I found the parents that I ended up, you know, caring for. So yeah, just be patient. Um, don't, you know, just jump at the first opportunity, the first set of parents you get or whatever the case. And also, like I said, back to the being patient, really be patient because surrogacy is a lot of hurry up and wait, hurry up, wait. You need to get these papers signed by this date. We need to get this done by this date. And then it happens. And then they're like, okay, thanks. We'll let you know the next step. And then you're sitting back waiting for a month, two months for something to happen. Be patient with the process and be patient with your body. Because at the same time, you don't know how these medications are going to affect you. You don't know how an embryo transfer is going to affect you. So you be patient and have grace with your body because your body is doing so much that it's never done before. Yeah, it's been pregnant before, but all of the science behind it, your body is, might not have gone through before. So just be patient with the process. Be patient with yourself. Yeah, that's something that I learned. I had to experience. And Marcy, were there any boundaries, like hard boundaries that you set for yourself? during this process? 
Um, not really, actually, because like I said, since my um, parents were so easygoing, mm-hmm. um, there wasn't really anything we butted heads on. Um, mm. Like I said, in the contracts, um, as far as like lifestyle uh, stuff that I had to change, really, I mean, it was they were really basic with like eat healthy, don't drink, don't smoke. I did have um, travel restrictions, so I couldn't, from the moment I got pregnant, I couldn't travel, um, you know, so many miles outside of El Paso and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I came to find out, again, I didn't know this, it's because, um, well, obviously COVID was going on at the time, so they wanted me to be safe because of that. But as I got, after, I want to say 26 weeks or something, I couldn't travel Mm -hmm. more than so many miles outside of El Paso. Because let's say we're to go into early labor or let's say something happened and I was out of town and I had to, you know, go deliver in New Mexico or something. My contract is completely void. Oh, wow. If I were to deliver outside of anywhere but Texas, mm-hmm. um, then the parents would have to go through adoption to get their baby. Oh, That would legally be my child. Wow. So that was the whole thing. And we had already signed like our pre-birth order and everything that relinquishes all my rights, names mm-hmm. them as the parents and stuff. But yeah, if I were to travel outside of El Paso after a certain amount of weeks, it the contract is completely null and void. So that's, you wow. know, a little surprising thing that <laughs> goes into the legality of surrogacy that I had no idea about. So those are really the only um, things that they asked of me. Mm-hmm. So you know, I was okay with that. I didn't really have any, any opportunity to set like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, mm-hmm. would you do anything differently? Like if you could go back in time, is there anything that you would have done differently? Um, as far as like with the parents and with the agency and with my contract, no, Personally, I would have loved to document it more. I wish I would have taken more pictures. I wish I would have, you know, just taken like week by week pictures or, you know, just more documenting it for myself. I actually made an album for the parents. Mm -hmm. So I gave them all of their um, ultrasound photos. Um, I printed out pictures of myself like throughout the pregnancy, you know, just so that they can have it and they can show the baby later as he grows up if they want to. I just gave him something if they want to, they can. But um, I didn't save a lot of stuff for myself. (laughs) So, you know, I don't want it to be, you know, as the years go by, just a fleeting memory Memory. that that I start losing little by little, which is, again, why thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do this because I can always come back and listen to this and remember, you know, and have that. So that's going to be cool. But yeah, I just wish I would have documented it a little bit more for myself. Yeah. To have those memories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think that's a good advice too, to document it if, if you're in the right mind space. Cause I think sometimes yeah. you can't for whatever reason and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But and it, it goes by something- so fast. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> it, it literally took me longer to get pregnant. <laughs> like and to be pregnant. <laughs> to be pregnant. Like I was pregnant it felt like I was pregnant for like two months. It went by so fast. Wow. And Marcy, to wrap things up, can you give us where people can follow you, where they can reach out to you if they have any questions, if that's something you're willing to share? Yeah. So I 
I'm really open to sharing. I'm mostly active on um, Instagram for the most part. Um, my, you know, my Instagram is Marcy Ray. It's um, Marcy with two Y's underscore Ray with two E's at the end. Um, and yeah, I, I'm really open to people asking me and asking for advice and all of that stuff. And I actually have like a whole, um, highlights tab on my Instagram, I guess, of, um, just dedicated to surrogacy. Cause throughout my pregnancy, I was kind of doing little like Q and A's for just like the people that follow me. (laughs) I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of followers. I'm not this like famous Instagram person, but you know, the people that are interested, there is some information on there and, you know, I'm always open to people reaching out and asking because I love talking about it. I love talking yeah. about my experience. I love sharing it because people don't talk about it. When I was looking for the information, it wasn't out there. So if I'm able to, you know, share the information and share my experience, then I love doing that. No, yeah. And it's a very unique experience. And thank you so much, Marcy. We'll link your stuff in the podcast notes so that if anybody wants to follow you or reach out, they they totally can. Thank you so much for coming on. Sure. No, thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity. And I love it. <laughs> I was so nervous at the beginning, but I'm so happy that I got the um, opportunity to do this. Yes. Awesome. And we hope that you liked it. So you come back on to talk about having the one and done. We want to yeah. have that conversation. <laughs> That's a whole conversation in itself, but absolutely. Thank you.